Well, this morning, before we get started, I do want to share with you a, I guess, a brief announcement, or, or at least a heads up. You've seen it in the bulletin, and it's uh, dealing with the uh, uh, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Church, and I want to share uh, with you that today and next Sunday has been chosen as the International Day of Prayer for them, so we can start praying today. And uh, you're going to hear much more about this next Sunday when Pastor Chad is here at the pulpit for both AM and PM services. But I just want to encourage you to begin that, to start that, to be thinking about that. It's, it is a time that's set apart for Christians to pray for uh, believers suffering for their faith uh, across the world, many different parts of the world. And I just want to encourage you to prayerfully participate in this important uh, event. And the one way of doing that is by visiting a website. You can do that at idop.org or internationaldayofprayer.org and you can find all kinds of information there, uh, slides, whatever, uh, about the persecuted church, Bible readings, uh, focus on the uh, things that will focus on the response of the persecuted Christians and just different things that are taking place. So I would encourage you to do that and if you didn't catch that information you can see me afterwards. I have a little slip I'll give you and give you the website and that kind of thing again if you want that uh, later on. So I just wanted to share that with you and have you start praying for that. Well, as we do share the message this morning, I do want to start with a story, a uh, story about a missionary of yesteryear by the name of Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China. Most of you have heard of him, very uh, familiar fellow in, in missions. The story goes like this. Hudson Taylor was examining some young people who had volunteered for the mission field. He wanted to ascertain their qualifications for the rugged life toward which they were looking. And why would you wish to go to a foreign missionary? Or why, would, why do you wish to go as a foreign missionary, he asked one. Well, I wanted to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, was the reply. Another said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ, not having even heard of the one name whereby the lost may be saved. And others gave various answers. Then Hudson Taylor said, All of these motives, howsoever good, will fail you in times of testings, trials, and tribulations, and possibly death. There is but one motive which will sustain you in trial and testing, and that is the love of Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible tells us that the love of Christ constrains us. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. Do you realize that Jesus came from heaven on a mission of love for us? And as we partake together this morning in the Lord's Supper, I want us to focus upon that mission. I want us to focus upon that love. The Bible says that greater love has no man, no man than to lay down his life for his friend. That's exactly what Christ did for you and for me. And when someone asks you, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come to this earth? And we often answer, well, to save us from our sins. Well, that's true, to a point. That's true, but there's much, much, much more than that. Amen? That's just to make sure you're still with me. It is much more than that. If that's the case, then why did he come? Matthew 5 tells us he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. It says he came to show us the truth. Matthew 10 says he came to bring a sword. He came to cause division and, and not peace. That's what happens with the gospel. And the list could go on and on and on and on 
on the reasons why he came. But I want to ask you, have you ever thought, have you ever thought of all the reasons for his coming? Have you ever thought what, I'm sure many of you have, what, what would things be like if Christ had not come? Well, I'm going to look at four more reasons this morning before we go to the Lord's Supper on reasons why Jesus came. And the very first one I want to share with you is Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, we're going to look at a different number of passages of Scripture this morning. And so we'll be turning back and forth. But here in Matthew chapter 20, I want to read to you just one one verse that deals with this. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, the Bible says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now some of you may be saying here this morning, no, just wait a minute. I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I know him as my Lord, but certainly not as a servant. And if that's the case, let me ask you a question. When you pray about your job or about your health or whatever it is you pray about, and you ask Jesus for something, when God answers your prayers, he has served you, correct? We don't often look at it that way, but he has served you. Listen, if you don't think he's a servant, then why are you asking him? Why don't you just ask someone else? Folks, Jesus is continuing to serve today, this moment, all the time. We just don't think of it that way. Look back with me at this verse. It says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to look at that word ransom. Uh, a ransom is something that is paid instead of. And then you fill in the blank. A ransom is something that is paid instead of. And that is what Jesus said. He said, I came, I came to do for you what you could not do for yourself. I paid that instead of, because you could not pay that price for yourself. He took the place of every single solitary sinner on that cross. He goes on to say, for many, look what it says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, does that mean that he came to give his life for some and not all? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but, a, but is patient toward all, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's not the case at all. In a very familiar passage of Scripture, John 3.16, what's he say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that only a few who believe in him should not perish. Is that what it says? Everybody knows this, right? That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He came to save all, but not all will be saved. And sometimes that's just hard for us to understand. But that's the first reason he came, or one more reason he came. Here's the second reason. Jesus came to minister to the blind, the brokenhearted, and those in bondage. And just turn, turn over with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, if you know this story at all, Jesus is in the synagogue here. And he stood up and they handed him the scroll of the book of Isaiah. And, and he read a passage of scripture that identified himself 
We know it's Isaiah chapter 61. And look what he says, and, and look in verse 18. Look what he says. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. You know what he says here? He says he was set, he, he was set, he set at liberty, or in other words, he was able to release those who were oppressed. That's what he's talking about. Listen, he knows, you got, you got to, that's, that's apply that. We got to kind of make that more personal. He knows what you and I are going through in life. Would you agree with that? No matter what it is. He knows what you and I are suffering through. He knows the suffering that's taking place. He knows how we are suffering. He knows the difficulties. He knows the hardships. He knows the troubles. He knows the trials. He knows the good things. He knows the happy things. He knows all those things that you're going through. He knows the things that are going on in your home. He knows the things that are going on at your job, at your school. He knows all the things that are taking place with your finances. Folks, we have to understand that in a real way instead of just a way that gets stuck up here and goes no place else. We have to understand it in a way in which it affects our lives. He knows all the things about us on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. He knows that. In Matthew chapter 11, very familiar passage of Scripture, verse 28, 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He came to serve, and he came to heal, and to minister to people who are broken and shattered and who are in bondage, bondage to sin. And he's still doing that today, not just here. You know, and someone will say, well, Pastor Ron, or maybe someone will be talking to you, and they'll say, you know, well, when I got saved, that was it. I was glad I was saved, that was it. You need to tell them, no, no, that wasn't it. That's, that's not it. He came to live in you. And you have to help them understand that. He came to live in you. He came to live through you. He came to live within us, each every one of us who know Christ as Savior, and to become every single thing we need Him to be. Key word there is need Him to be, not want Him to be. That's why in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the Bible says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have to understand that. We have to believe that, that that is true. He is sensitive. He does know what's taking place in our life moment by moment because he was also tempted and tried and he did go through difficulties and hardships and sufferings and pain just like we do, only the difference is so much the more than we could imagine. He came to be what we could not be, a ransom. He came to be what we could never be, and then to minister to us. It is God's love from very beginning to the very end. Aren't you glad to know that? I mean, that's his love, folks, from the very beginning to the very end. It makes me think of those who 
who maybe are without Christ, and they say things like, which is just, I don't want to say silly, it's just heartbreaking. Well, you know, I don't need God. I just don't need God. I don't need Him. I haven't needed Him yet in my life. Maybe they're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 years old. I don't need God. I've, I've, not, needing, I've not needed Him so far. Why do you think I need Him now? Well, we all know the answer to that, right? And hopefully you can share that with them. But we get people who say that. We need to say, oh, yes, you do. You need him every single moment. You think you don't need him. But that doesn't change the need. Listen, every single one of us need him, saved or unsaved. Even if you just want to look at it this way, because of the very air we breathe, we need God. Amen? Hence, the unsaved breathe the same air we breathe. They need God. If you want to get it down to a very simple, basic thought, you can start with them there. So how much does he love us? Folks, he loves us enough to bind up our broken hearts. He loves us enough to, to heal our spiritual or our emotional and our physical wounds. He loves us enough to accept us when no one else will accept us. And he paid a ransom for our lives. He says he will never abandon us. Isn't that good to know? That's how much he loves us. There's a third reason he came. And Jesus came so that we might have life and have life more abundantly. Turn to John chapter 10. Here again, not an unfamiliar passage of scripture, just a verse. In John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know what Jesus says here? He says, I came so that you might be able to experience life at its very, very, very best. Here's where, here's where things get a little murky. We think we know how to experience life at its very best, correct? If I was to hand out a sheet of paper to each one of you, and you would write down, and, and I would ask you to write down, what do you think experiencing life at its very best, would be, much of it would probably be different than what God would say it is, or what Christ would say it is. He came to give us life that we can, we can experience at its very, very best, so that we can, here's the key word, so that we can enjoy life. Did you ever think about that? So we can enjoy life. He wants us to experience fulfillment. He wants us to experience contentment. He wants us to experience fruitfulness and, and joy, and even, even sometimes happiness in our lives. It may not be what we consider contentment. It may not be what we consider happiness. In our flesh, I mean. He wants us to experience what is true joy, true enjoyment, true contentment. That's where the difference comes in. He came so that you and I might be able to experience life, if you want to look at it this way, in its very highest possible plane. And that's where many of us struggle to live. On a very highest possible plane. To enjoy God. To just enjoy Him. To enjoy Christ. To enjoy the Holy Spirit. To enjoy everything God has provided in this life for us. Oftentimes we maybe just complain about it. Many times we maybe don't even think about it. Other times we just wonder about it. But you ever stopped to enjoy it? Just to enjoy life as God would have us do it? 
You know, sometimes we think this, and I, and I just want to clarify this. God's no stick in the mud. Wouldn't you agree? God's no stick in the mud. You know, if I do this, he's going to zap me or something. Or if I don't do this, he's going to zap me. Or if I do this, do that, then my life's going to be miserable. If I don't do this, do that. Well, you know what? That may be the case if you're in sin, those kinds of things. But it's no stick in the mud. It's not like, you know what, I, these Christians, they get too happy. I don't know what I'll do with them. You know, they, they, they experience too much joy. What on earth? They, they might get out of hand. We wouldn't want that. God's not doing that. That's what he wants. He wants us to experience life at the very best. His very best. Which may not be ours. In our flesh anyways. Or what we think is the very best. God's not the enemy, folks. He's not the enemy. He loves us. And he lives within us. And he wants us to live life to its fullest. And if you believe that, let me ask a question. What keeps us from enjoying life to its fullest? Disobedience? Sin? Rebellion? Doubt? I think all those fall in that category, and maybe more. I think one of the most debilitating is doubt. I believe doubt is, is one, of the mo one of the biggest culprits of keeping us from living life to its fullest. We run into people, or maybe we say this ourselves, or we, maybe we just think it. You know, we say something like, you know, I don't believe God can really meet my need. Really deep down inside, I don't believe he can meet my need. Because here's the, here's the, here's the key. My need is, is, I don't know, my need is this house over here, not this house. And you're forgetting that. No, your need is, is housing. Okay? But my need is this house. Or it could be a number of things. And so we really don't believe God can meet our need deep down inside. And another reason why we struggle with that is because we meet our own needs, correct? I have a job. I work hard at my job. I went to school to get my job. I did a good job at the interview. I, I, those, those people know me. This is my job. This is what I do. And, and now you're telling me that God supplied that or God allowed me to work there or God is allowing me to... I don't, that's not true. It is true. It's just hard to acknowledge that for some people. Or they say, I don't know if I, if I would really be fulfilled, or in other words, I would know if I'd really be happy, is what they're really saying, if I trusted God alone for all the things that I need in life. You know, because he shops at different places than I shop. <laughs> Isn't that true? We doubt that sometimes. And so, hence we doubt, can God really... Can God really help me to enjoy life at its fullest? We may say things like, you know, I'll meet my own need, my way, in my timing, not in God's timing. I'm doing it in my own timing. You know, we really, when, when we think that, we, we don't really believe he's interested in certain things in our lives. Well, I think he's interested in making sure I go to heaven. Okay, the Bible says that I think he's interested in that. And, you know, I've heard that he sent his son on the cross and on the cross so that I can go to heaven. I think he's interested in that. But is he really interested in my day-to-day, moment-by-moment things? Does he really love me that much? And the answer is yes. Yes, he does. Listen, he's interested in everything, every little thing about us. That's how much he loves us. Well, finally, I want to share the last one with you. Number four, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Another reason he came is to seek and to save that which was lost. If you turn back to Luke, Luke chapter 19, 
Most of us would be very familiar with this story. If, you're, if you haven't read it in Scripture, you've sang it in a song, I'm sure. The story of, of Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. He was a small man, or as some of you will know him as a wee little man. Okay. And when Jesus was passing by, he climbs up a tree, and he wants to see the Lord. And Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, you need to come down, because I'm going to your house to be with you today. And look with me in verse 9. It says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Look what he says in verse 9. Look what he says again. Salvation has come to your house. But then in verse 10 he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I want you to listen carefully. There are people who say, One of these days, and maybe there's some here today, One of these days I'm going to get saved. One of these days I'm going to trust Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. One of these days I'm going to get around to that. When I get ready... I'm going to be saved, but not until I'm ready, then I'll do it. Too many things in my life would change. You just don't understand, Pastor Ron, the people who I associate with, the people I need to associate with for my business to, to be successful, or the people I need to associate with so I can climb up the ladder at my, at my workplace. You just don't understand those things. That's the way it works. That's the politics of, of, of business or whatever the case may be. So one of these days, though, I'm going to do it. One of these days, I'm going to get saved. And let me tell you this. No, you're not. No, you're not. Well, doesn't the Bible say? Doesn't the Bible say that whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Yes. Yes, it does. Then can I get saved any time I want to? No. No, you can't. You know why that is? Because after you're dead, it's too late. After you die, it's too late. When you're standing before the great white throne, it's too late. The Bible also says today is the day of what? Salvation. There's a story in Luke chapter 12, if you want to turn back a couple pages. In Luke chapter 12 that addresses this. It's the story of a man who worked hard. Uh, made lots of money, provided for his family, had everything this world says was, is important. And then look in verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will, whose will they be? And so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Think about what took place here. He had provided for his family, had everything this world says is important, and then it meant nothing. You see, there's not, a, there's not a single one of us here this morning who have trusted the Lord that are saved as a result of us taking the initiative. It may seem like that. And let me explain that in just a second, but that's not the case. You see, we are all responders to the love of God. All of us are. You see, we, we're responders. It, it is God who sought us, and it is God who came after us and we responded to the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. And someone will say, well, you know, you know, uh, I just had a hunger for God and I got saved. Well, listen, whatever you had a hunger for was placed there. And that's what you have to realize. 
It was placed in your heart. You and I cannot take any credit whatsoever under any condition at all at any time for any reason for being saved. Back in Luke 19, I want you to, to, to keep that in mind. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did he come seeking? I'll tell you why. Because his love wouldn't give up. His love wouldn't quit. And listen to me. God loved you and loved you and loved you and loved you. And he may have sent preachers after you. He may have sent programs, whatever the case may be, books, tracts, friends, whatever, all these things we use to reach the, reach the, or share the gospel with someone we, we believe doesn't know Christ as their Savior. And you may have got tired of them. You may even have cursed them. You may have told them, forget it. Maybe you've told them, I don't want to hear it anymore. Maybe someone's told you that. Just stop it. I've heard enough. Do you know what happens? God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. And now aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad he didn't quit on you? Aren't you glad all the things you said about him didn't deter him? Aren't you glad all the things you thought about him didn't deter him? Aren't you glad all, aren't, aren't you glad all the rejection and all the, re, all the resistance that you put up? And he just kept on. He says, I, I, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that was me. And for many of you, it was you. You see, no one seeks after God. And you say, well, I did. No, you didn't. You responded. You responded. You responded to someone who was seeking you. And if you want to, if you, if you want to know why he came, he says, he says, I came because I loved you, and I'm not giving up on you. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. But finally, just let me share this with you. Is there someone in your life that you really, truly love with all your heart and they have never trusted Christ as their Savior? Do you know someone like that? Does it hurt? Does it hurt a lot? You know, 39 times in the book of John we read that Jesus was sent. He was sent to serve. He was sent to heal the brokenhearted and to minister. He was sent that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He was sent to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you realize he was sent because of you and because of me? That's how much he loved us. In our Bible Institute class this last week, in our, it's a crisis counseling class, uh, there are four stabilizing truths that, that we talked about and we try to drive this point home because uh, these four stabilizing truths are very helpful in counseling no matter what the person is going through. There, but there are also four stabilizing truths that all of us should learn, all of us should remember, all of us should, should keep in the forefront of our mind as we walk this Christian life. And the first one is this. The Word of God is the final right answer. We need to understand that, believe that truth. When we understand that as a stabilizing truth, we can, we can face anything. Number two is God's purpose, God's purpose for me is Christ-likeness. It's not to... Be miserable is to be Christ-like. Number three is God's grace for me is sufficient. Amen? And that is, a, that is a truth we need to often understand and realize. But number four is God's love for me is unchanging. God's love for me is unchanging. Think about this. He can't love you any more ever than he does right now. And he can't love you any less. Isn't that a good thought? 
Let's think about that as we go to communion together.